This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. There are things on the decline and things on the incline. And one of the things that I've noticed just in my own uh, reading and observation is the increase of anxiety uh, in the world that we in which we live. Uh, the levels of concern or nervousness, anxious, people struggle with anxiety uh, more and more. And I read a book last, last fall uh, as part of my program called The Failure of Nerve. And it was uh, written by a guy, he's not a Christian, but he was looking at the idea of chronic anxiety and how it affects our culture. Uh, One of the elements or characteristics of chronic anxiety is reactivity, which is the vicious cycle of intense reactions of each member to events and to one another. Chronic anxiety exists in families, it exists in organizations, and he's even positing that it exists in our country as a whole. Another characteristic is blame displacement, an emotional state in which family members focus on forces that have victimized them rather than taking responsibility for their own well-being and destiny. These factors impact how we understand ourselves and how we function within our family, within our church, within our culture, and within the world. Chronic anxiety has now affected our whole country. It's a debilitating disease that hinders growth and hinders flourishing. So I'm reading another book called A Non-Anxious Presence. This person is a a follower of Jesus, and his name is Mark Sayers. It's been a a fascinating book, but one of the aspects that he addresses is uh, this book by Friedman from the 1990s, uh, Dealing with Chronic Anxiety. And he says that one of the solutions to anxiety is the presence of God, is encountering and knowing the God of the Bible and the beauty and joy of knowing Jesus Christ and having a relationship with God is that through prayer, we can know this God. We can encounter the presence of God. It's available to every single person. Every man, uh, woman, boy, and girl has the opportunity to encounter and to engage with the living God through prayer. And the issues of anxiety, chronic anxiety, or individual anxiety are, are multifaceted. And how we got here, it's very complicated. But one solution, one reality for every person and for every family system, every organization, every church, every world is the opportunity that we have to encounter the presence of God. And so when we come into this room, that's one thing that we're able to do together as a family is to encounter the presence of the living God through the sacraments, through the word, and through prayer. And so this summer, uh, we're doing a sermon series on prayer. It's called Shameless Audacity, and the title of that sermon series is going to become evident as we read through the text this morning. It's this opportunity that we have to, to really get to know and to interact with the God of the Bible in a powerful and wonderful way, in a way that not only impacts us as we gather in this space, but as we go about every single moment of our lives. Lord, I need you every hour. This God is available to us. He's present with us. And it's really more of understanding his presence with us than it is about having him come to us. He is present in the world everywhere. 
So part of the sermon series is an opportunity for you to engage and to grow in your life of prayer. In the, in the bulletin, uh, we have reprinted a prayer guide that we created for the staff officer retreat that we used a year or so ago. And it goes through this acronym ACTS, which you may be familiar with, how we can adore God. We can confess our sins to God. We can give God thanksgiving and then supplication. We can make our request. And I encourage you to take that guide and this week and this summer begin to establish a new rhythm of prayer. There are a number of Bible passages there. And the best way to pray, to learn how to pray, is just to start praying. But hopefully this sermon series and this reflection on God's word will encourage you uh, to do that as we go through that uh, this summer. So, here we go. Let's turn now to God's Word. I'm going to be reading uh, from the New International Version of, of the Bible because of the particular phrase that it uses that makes the whole sermon series go. And I didn't want to make the sermon series titled to be Impudence. Shameless audacity sounds a lot cooler, and that's what the NIV says. So if you, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of God for the people of God. Maybe see them. Father, we love you, we thank you for your word, and we pray that, God, as we just listen to the reading of it, and as we just consider for a few moments some, thought, some thoughts on it, that you would, through our prayers, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, and that we'd be in conversation with you. You'd be hearing what we're saying and thinking, and we'd be hearing what you're saying and thinking, and then God has a response to that that we would live into the presence of yourself that you provide. And it would change us. It would comfort us and it would restore us. It would renew us and refresh us. It would convict us and it would challenge us and it would change us. So God, in prayer, we ask these things. Amen. 
Uh, when I was a youth pastor in Orlando, we uh, took a trip to Jamaica on a mission trip. And so we went down there, and, and mainly it was, uh, there, well, there was a, one of the centers where we worked was the Caribbean Center for the Deaf. A number of people in Jamaica were deaf, and they had no way to provide for themselves. So we built uh, a, 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 some housing, and they were going to create a rocking chair factory where they could make rocking chairs and sell them to provide income. Uh, our task for one week was to dig a giant hole that was going to serve as a septic tank. And that was a great challenge for me and some high school students. And so we would go down there and work. And then other times we would go out into the community and help to build houses. There were families that the mission partners that we had were, were connected to, and they lived in these cinder block homes. And so what we would do is just basically manual labor, delivering concrete, walking cinder blocks to and fro, actually giving these items to people who really actually knew how to build something with them. And it was fascinating to me because we would be down there and there was a lot of things that were different about the culture in Jamaica. Many, many different things. But one thing that I really noticed would be the, the boldness that people had in asking you for your stuff. I literally was standing there and I bought these construction boots and, and this guy goes, Hey, man, can I have them boots? These? And they told us, they said, you're going to be asked for your stuff. You just say, no, I need it. I said, no, I need them. And then later on, this goes, Eman, can I have that watch? I'm like, this one? No, <laughs> I need it. <laughs> Eman, can I have that hat? Hat. And uh, I was like, no, man, I need it. I, wasn't, I had more hair back then, but still, I needed my hat. It was just fascinating to me. That it just felt weird to have someone walk up to you and to say the thing that you're wearing. Robert, can I have that shirt? Right? You just, it just makes you feel uncomfortable. But in that culture, they asked. It was not a big deal to them to simply ask. In, in the world that we live in today, we, we don't do that, do we? Right? Someone has a nice car that you like, and you admire it, and you think, I'd like to have one of those cars one time. And you say, amen. Give me that Tesla. You, don't, you just say, hey, that's a nice car. Now, the person may think, you want my car, but they're not actually experiencing you say, will you please give me your car? Because we just wouldn't do that. We're anxious about saying, can I have a drink at your house? Instead of actually asking for something of value. When I was thinking about this verse and the boldness that the man has as he goes to his neighbor, this shameless audacity that he extends, it reminded me of my friends in Jamaica. They ask, he asks in a way that's almost socially inappropriate. It's culturally awkward. It's even a little bit weird. Uh, we learn that the man in need has this shameless audacity. It's also translated impudence, which is a word that no one, none of us ever use. Importunity, improbitatum, shameless boldness, shameless persistence, shameless audacity. It's a lack of sensitivity to what is proper in asking for what you need. I think we learn a lot about prayer in this passage. Obviously, we know that the Lord's Prayer is embedded in this text. But we learn about what it means to have a life of prayer as we reflect on it. The first thing I want you to think about is that we are called to pray like Jesus. We're called to pray like Jesus. What's the first verse say? One day... Jesus was praying. 
The first thing we're called to learn is to pray like Jesus. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. We know that Jesus was a man of prayer. We know that Jesus prayed for others. Matthew 19, 13, we read, Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. This is even despite the fact that the disciples rebuked those who were bringing children to Jesus. Jesus prayed for others. Jesus prayed with others. Luke 9, 28 reads, Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him, and they went up on a mountain to pray. We see that Jesus also prayed alone. Luke 5, 16 reads, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. As much as Jesus valued praying with others, he also prayed by himself. He understood that everybody needs to pray alone. Jesus also prayed in nature. We see that he was on the mountainside to pray. He went out into the beauty of God's creation to see what God had made to pray. He could have gone to Jerusalem to be in the temple, but he wanted to be in nature. We see that Jesus prayed regularly. Uh, this insight's gleaned from a passage cited earlier uh, in Luke Luke, 5, excuse me, Luke 5, 16, Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed often. This is part of what Jesus did with his life, is he prayed often. His prayers were heartfelt, meaning they came from his heart, but they were also biblical. John 17, if you read through John 17, it's Jesus doesn't pray in a cold a rigorous manner just by rote, even though he has prayers that he probably recited many, many times. There was a heartfelt supplication, a de demonstrating sympathy and a, and a genuine love for God. But his prayers were also based on the word of God. That's partly why we included so many passages of scripture for you. As you think about how do people pray in the Bible, how does this shape and form my life of prayer? And Jesus also taught us persistence in prayer. He told the disciples a parable to show them the ways they should pray and not give up in Luke chapter 18. Persistence in prayer. So we're called to, to pray like Jesus. And here's the thing. It, Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he is the, the, the image of the invisible God who's come to earth. And yet Jesus also needed to pray. What does that say about us who are not God? We are made in the image of God. That means that we need to pray. We need to be a praying people to go before the Lord and pray. What is the next thing we learn? We need to pray the way Jesus taught us. If you look at the verse, it says, when he finished one of his disciples, notice it was only one of his disciples, uh, said this, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. What's fascinating to me is that in a, in a culture that was steeped in prayer, where they had the Old Testament, where they had to probably memorize massive sections of the Bible, which is a book of prayer, there's a disciple that says, Jesus, teach us to pray. This disciple obviously sees something different about Jesus' way of life. He sees something different about his life of prayer, and he says, Jesus, teach me, teach us how to pray like you do. This community that had a, a theological history of the word of God and a book of prayer they had to memorize and a regular pattern of Sabbath worship needed to learn how to pray. And I would suggest that we are the same. I know for me, I need to learn more how 
to pray. And that's part of the reason we're having this sermon series is for us to reflect on what does it mean to be people of earnest prayer, right? Those are what's one of the five values in our church. The vision statement of Woodland is maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. And we have five values that include authentic worship, joyful mission, intentional discipleship, vibrant community, and earnest prayer. And when we were discerning, God, what is the vision of Woodland? What are the things that we already do that we really want to live into and focus on as a church? We knew that prayer was one of those things, but we also recognized that, man, we can be praying more. So for us, as we were discerning that and in conversation with the session about, is this the vision? Is this what we should be about as a church? We realized that prayer was an aspirational value. Sure, we pray. We have prayers. We pray before meetings, but we want to be a praying people. And you know the difference, right? Someone who says a prayer and someone who's a person of prayer. We all want to grow. I want to grow as a person of prayer. And so we discern this this value. Earnest prayer is cultivating our relationship with the Lord and by faith interceding for his kingdom. There's two components of this. One is this intimate connection with the Savior and the God of the universe. And the other part is this asking God to bring his kingdom come. We value earnest prayer because our Father delights in communing with us regularly. God is pleased to dwell with us. He he wants to be with us. And his word calls us to pray for his kingdom to be revealed. So there's these two aspects of prayer that we're trying to live into as followers of Jesus, as a church. So yes, it's something that we value, but we want to value it more. And I would say the best way to learn how to pray is to pray. Simply begin by praying. Alan Hirsch says, we don't think our way into acting. We act our way into thinking. You're not going to learn enough. You can go to prayer symposiums uh, and conferences, but the best way to learn how to pray is to start praying. How do you teach someone how to swim? You get in the water. I've taught four people in this room how to ride a bike. And you don't go to a classroom on how to ride a bike. You just get on the bike. And as you're pushing that child down the street on the bike, you say, you should pedal. (laughs) And then what do you do? You learn how to do it, right? Just by trying it and by doing it. And sometimes we feel intimidated that like, oh, well, well, my prayers don't sound like her prayers or my prayers aren't as, as theologically rich with all that vocabulary, all those terms as that person. So then we feel intimidated and we just don't even pray. But you know what, God, does he care about someone who learned a technical term for uh, baptismal regeneration and includes it in a prayer? What even is that? It's something, but does it matter in prayer that you don't use it? Absolutely not. What God wants is your heart. What God wants is communion and connection with you. He doesn't care what word you, you can even pray in a language other than English. People have been doing it for years. If he can understand other languages besides English, then he can understand anything you're saying. Whatever it is, go to him and start praying. Make a commitment and say, Lord, help me to pray. Give me the word to say. And here's what Jesus says. He gives us some words to pray as a guide. Look at verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say. You want a lesson in what to do and how to pray? Here's how you do it. So if you're struggling, you're thinking, I don't know how to pray, get out the Lord's Prayer and pray through the Lord's Prayer. 
This is a lesson in how to pray. And sometimes we just say, well, it's the prayer that we recite at church. And we do, almost every Sunday. And yet we don't even think about what the words are. Jesus is saying, here's how I want to teach you how to pray. And we just recite it and don't even know what it means. Isn't that ironic? It shouldn't be that way. That's not to say that we shouldn't say it in worship. That's valuable. It's helpful. But let's think about what it means. Father, hallowed be your name. Lord, your name is holy. It's honored because you're different. You're something else than I am. And that's why my prayers, when they go to you, are meaningful and powerful and significant because you're meaningful and powerful and significant. Hallowed be your name. Our prayers are real petitions to a God who is. We're not just meditating. We're not just getting centered. We're not looking within. We're asking the God of the universe to be in a conversation with us, and he gladly enters into that conversation. We're asking God that you, Lord, would bring the values of the kingdom, the values of heaven, that you would bring them to earth. Because we know the values of the kingdom, those things that are eternal, that are just, that are righteous, that are holy. We need more of that in our world. And we can't figure out how to do it. And so, Lord, we're asking you to come in. And that's what God is saying when he prays. He rules over all the world. But we know that his, his reign, his eternal rule is being defied in the hearts of people, in our community, in our world. And we're asking that he would bring sinful men and women to a right relationship with himself and that they would act in accordance with God's word. That's what we're asking about when we pray the Lord's Prayer. We're saying, bring your kingdom to earth. Extend your presence. Make people aware that you exist in a glorious way. Uh, this, week, this weekend, I watched that movie, The Book of Eli. And it's got Denzel Washington in it. And he's uh, got a copy of the Bible. And he's on a journey west. And he's been walking for 30 years with this Bible. And he's, it's, it's, it's one of those movies, it's a dystopian future. Everything's dark and cold and sandy and there's violence. And he is on this journey to take the Bible to somewhere that he doesn't know. He got a message from God to take him. And there's the scene in the film where he's about to eat a meal. He's been, she's locked into a room. And a girl comes in to bring the food and they're going to eat. And he says, hold on just a minute. Put your hands out. And she doesn't know what he's doing. And he says a prayer of thanks. He says, Lord, we thank you for a roof. We thank you for this food. And she has no idea what to do because she lives in a world where the name of the Lord is not known. And friends, we live in a world where the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus is not really known. Certainly people may go to church, but do they know the name of the living God, the God who changes, the God who restores, the God who heals, the God who comes to us in brokenness, in humility, in gentleness, with a lowly heart? Do people know that name? From whom will they hear the name unless they hear it from you? Do they know the name of the Lord? We ask God to extend his presence in a powerful way, and then he uses us to extend that presence and to reveal it in the world. We ask God to provide for us, to give us what we need each day, not for tomorrow, but daily bread. Lord, give me enough today, because the thing is, Lord, if I have enough for tomorrow and the next day, then I'll just be thinking about how I keep protecting what I have for tomorrow. Help me rejoice in what you've given for me this day, and that that would be enough for me. 
We're dependent upon God. We ask also for forgiveness. We know that we've broken the Lord's trust and that we need to be forgiven. And so in turn, then we forgive those who need our forgiveness, those who sin against us. We ask the Lord to help us with temptation, that we might be found faithful. And so here Jesus gives us a pattern to pray, a way of connecting with God, a way to know more than simply something to recite in worship, although it is beneficial to recite in worship. This prayer is an example of how we, of how you can grow in prayer. And then Jesus gives them this uh, example. So he's, we've been saying, uh, learn, uh, go to Jesus, learn from Jesus, and now we are to go to Jesus. Verse 5, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. So Jesus says, let's say out of nowhere, you, you, someone comes over to your house after a long journey and you have nothing to offer that person, right? The chips and salsa are gone. The fruit bowl is empty. There's no frozen pizza in the freezer and all of the leftovers are eaten. You can't even pull out what you had for dinner because it's all gone. You must have a high school guy in your house. It's kind of embarrassing because there's no food left in your home. It's so embarrassing because of the culture of that day that you are responsible if someone is on a really long journey. There are no hotels. There are no restaurants. There's no 7-Eleven or IHOP. You can't get any food. This person who's been traveling is worn out, has come to your house. They're your friend. You are responsible to provide something to eat, and you have nothing. And so what do you do? You go to your neighbor. You, you, you knock on the door. There's no answer. Well, because it's midnight. They're in bed. They've been in bed for a long time. The neighbor gets up and he says, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. Shh. Do you know what it took me to get this kid to go to sleep? I can't get up and get you anything. The neighbor's like, come on, man. What are you doing? I need something to feed my friends. I got to have something. I have to have something. So you keep knocking and knocking and knocking because of the shame and embarrassment of not being able to provide for your friends or your family who have come all this long way to see you. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. The guy's like, okay, okay, okay. Here's something. Let me give you something. Yeah, you're friends, but it's not because of your friendship that he gets up. It's the pounding and the knocking of the door, and the little kid is asleep, and he doesn't want him to go to sleep. He's, I'm going to give you whatever you want just so you'll go away. Shameless audacity. It feels culturally inappropriate to us. Like, give me them boots, man. When the need is great, we are willing to break the social convention of the day to ask for the help that we need. Because if we don't, we won't get anything. I mean, it's worth noting, remember? This is the only opportunity is that a neighbor would be able to provide. And so this man is going to knock and knock. He can't just say, well, go down and stay at the hotel. So you have shameless audacity. We think about that when we pray. What is the need that we have in our lives? The thing that only God can do that we're called to pray for. We can sit around and complain about how things are going. Ah, this country's going to hell in a handbasket. Man, you know, i got to get out of Memphis. I hear that all the time. Well, then go. 
Go to Nashville. Come on, we can have fun with Nashville, right? We complain about all kinds of stuff. And we're talking to each other about the issues when we need to be talking to God and asking the Lord, yes, we do want a just society. We do want marriages to be restored. We do want children who are feeling anxiety to feel the peace and the power and the presence of God. And Lord, we don't know how to do it because the things that we've created to try to bring flourishing are not accomplishing the purposes. So help us, Lord. Give us your will and your grace and your glory so that you will be revealed and that our communities would experience shalom. Jesus then interprets the story, verse 9. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. These are amazing, astounding words from Jesus. And I don't think that it means if you want a Tesla, you're going to get one. We don't hold to a name-it-claim-it theology where we just say, well, this is what I want and so it's what I'm going to get because what that happens is then we're obsessed with the gifts and not in love with the giver. But what Jesus is saying, I think, is that we need to ask him to do that which he most wants to do, which is to bring his kingdom to earth, to get close to us, to remind us that in the midst of the difficulty, the loneliness, the anger, the isolation, the uncertainty, the doubt, the fear, all those things that we feel at different points of the day that we would know that no matter what, the living God is right beside us. And he will never let us go. He will never let his church go. He will never be far from his people who say, Lord, we need you. Oh, Lord, we need you. So what are you asking of God that only God can do? Are we simply satisfied with prayers for safe travels? I'm all for safe travels. I love safe travels in the, in the summer. But is that what we ask God for? Safe travels. Just say to the person, use the gas and the brake pedal appropriately. Do we really need to ask God for that? No, I'm not saying we don't. But is that all we're praying for? Is a blessed meal after church, is that all we're praying for? Lord, this food, this high caloric, high fat, high salt food, I'm asking you to bless this food and the piece of cake that I'm going to eat afterward. Lord, please bless it. I'm surprised with that. I want a blessed meal. Bless the meal, Lord. But is that all we're asking for? I want my friends who are facing disease and divorce and discouragement. I want them to experience the presence of the living God. So am I asking for that? I want to see my city a place where every single person has the opportunity to get a job, to get an education, to be warm in the winter, to have food on the table. I want that. I'm asking God to do that. I'm asking God to do a movement in our city where everybody in our city loves Jesus so much they're willing to give what they have to each other, to sacrifice, to ask for forgiveness. I'm asking God to do that because only God can do that. Isn't that what we should be asking? Are our prayers big enough is the question. Ask God for the biggest prayer that you can possibly ask him and do it shamelessly, audaciously, powerfully. Because you know what? I think God wants to give it to you. Listen to what he says in verse 11. 
Which of you fathers? And notice, you probably didn't notice this because it, it was just on the last reading that I noticed this, but eight times in this passage, the word for gift appears. Eight times. Gift, give. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Maybe as a joke, you might just do that. But if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, listen to this, if you then, though you are evil, <laughs> you who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, I got a kid in the room who's going to be, he got a birthday on Tuesday. Happy birthday, right? And so we're thinking, what do you get your son for his birthday, right? You're, you're thinking about what would he like? What would bring him joy? What would be the thing that he opens up and goes, yeah, right? If you've had kids, there's a celebration that you have when you get a present. And it's like, man, what would it be? Or is it something big? Like, hey, let's go pick this out, the kind that you want, right? We know how to give good gifts to our children. Do you not think that the heavenly father who knows everything knows how to give good gifts to his children? And what does he say at the end of the passage? What is Jesus asking to be given. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's not saying a bike. He's not saying an egg. He's not saying a Tesla. He's saying, I want you to experience and receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the most wonderful, beautiful gift that we could ever receive. There are many other gifts that God gives to us. Fellowship, a church family, material possessions, the Word of God, all those things. But the Holy Spirit is that which helps us to understand that literally, actually, truthfully, God is with us in every single struggle that we face. Every time of discouragement, every time of anger, disappointment, that God is still present with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the best gift that you could ever, been, ever be given. Because it doesn't matter what happens in the world around us. If we have the Holy Spirit, we know that God is at work. And we do have the Holy Spirit. It's a promise, whether you feel it or not. It's true. So the question is whether you're going to rejoice and celebrate the gift that you've been given or to act like you don't have it. And I'm wanting an increasing measure for us, for me, for you to experience that Holy Spirit in increasing measure that it would just be so real to us and so powerful to us that it would be the thing that marks us as we gather. We've encountered God in this place. Better than strategies or, or, or programs or anything else, worship services, sermons, that what we would encounter is the living God through the power of prayer as a community so that we would be shaped and changed by that. Because what else is there? There's nothing more valuable than that. So this morning, we are going to participate in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And, th and this is a wonderful, beautiful reminder that God has come down to us, right? Every other religion, every other faith system is, here are the things that I do to get closer to God. And this is a visible, tangible reminder that God has come down to us, gladly giving up himself so that you and I would know that his presence is with us. And so we're going to participate in this supper. And we're also going to have some space for you to be prayed for. I'll, I'll be up here distributing the elements. And there'll be people here that have come forward and are willing to pray for you. So that you would encounter the presence of God. That you would be able to pray God-sized prayers. 
or that you would have the very smallest thing that's tormenting you, that's causing you discouragement, whatever it is that someone would pray for you, that you would become a praying person. Shamelessly audacious to go to the God of the universe. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.